Well, good morning, church. How we doing? I'm Scott Weatherford. I'm so glad you're here today on this great day. Uh, last night, the choir was here because they're going to sing at the end of the gathering, so they're here last night. So last night, I preached to the choir. And uh, did you guys make any decisions or commitments? Well, you came back. I guess that's one good decision. That's right. Jack, did you join the choir or you just joined your wife? What'd you do over there? Just your wife. All right, good. Yeah, she's supposed to keep an eye on you, so that's good. That's, that's awesome. Well, I'm so glad you're here. Uh, we're in this series called Hope, Help the Oppressed, Plead for the Exploited, and I hope it's been challenging to you. I, last week, I felt like I kicked over an anthill in your soul. It just kind of, in fact, I kicked it up in my own soul. You remember, I just had to quit. I said, I've, I've had enough. It's bad when a preacher's heard enough of his own stuff, right? I know y'all probably felt that way a long time ago. We've heard enough, but at least you're back again. And then we're going to continue this conversation. I've got a good friend of mine. His name is Sam Douglas. He was pastor of a church, a Yorktown Baptist Church down in Corpus Christi. And Sam and I partnered with a young man named Bill Cornelius. And Bill Cornelius planted a church in Corpus that's now Church Unlimited. And it has about 10,000 people a weekend attending that church. And uh, Sam and I were kind of partnered with Bill and kind of encouraged Bill, and now Bill encourages us. It's kind of crazy how things go. But uh, Sam and I had spent some time together, and Sam had a phrase that I loved. He'd say this. Now, his Texas draw, so maybe you'll understand this. If not, I'll interpret it. He said, Pastor, something's brewing in the kingdom. Something's brewing in the kingdom. Now, let me say it in English so you can understand it. Something is brewing in the kingdom, referring to the kingdom of God. That means God is cooking up something. Are y'all with me? Y'all understand what that means? Well, I believe that God has got something brewing in the kingdom here amongst us. That uh, this Cuba opportunity that we're going uh, about to go on in August, lots of spiritual oppression, y'all. I mean, it's like the devil doesn't want us to go to Cuba. Let me tell you a little about Cuba. Oswald Palmero is my friend. He's pastor of a church in the Hamptons, New York, way up in the Hamptons. And y'all know the Hamptons are the place where the mega rich play. That's where they have their beach house and uh, little bungalows. It costs $55 million. I, I saw Oswald was working for a family. They had a little house there that they fly in on their private helicopter on the weekends to go to the beach. So uh, and they will consume about $3,000 a weekend of expensive bottled water. I'd like to have the water deal on that one. We'll fill them up some Blanco stuff. It'd make them rich, right? But he, he's, and he pastors a church there that ministers to the people that work for the mega wealthy. And they're mostly uh, immigrant families, Spanish speaking primarily. About three years ago, Oswaldo started talking to me about going to Cuba. And I kept saying no, I kept saying no, I kept saying no. And then my brother Stan gets involved in Cuba, and you'll see Stan in a couple of weeks. Stan is coming back from Cuba right now. He's been down teaching Johan theology at the seminary in Santiago. Johan theology is a fancy way of, he's been teaching the book of John, okay? And uh, he's coming here to teach us First John, so you guys look forward to that. So he's been teaching that down in, in Santiago uh, de Cuba. And uh, Stan got to go to Cuba, and, and so Cuba's kind of been on my radar, but I kept saying no. And Oswaldo finally called me, and he said, look, we need to go to Cuba because there's pastors there that need to be trained, and you're the guy that trains them, and you need to go, and so we are now going to Cuba. Now, 
Here's some things, some reasons for this. First of all, dadgum Tom Gillespie's fluent in Spanish, and he's one of the problems. Tom, thank you. You and Beverly, Tom's going to go with us. And Tom is going to try to build a coaching network where he's going to coach Cuban pastors who will coach Cuban pastors. So we're trying to make it church to church, pastor to pastor, Cubans to Cubans, not Americans to Cubans. Uh, Mitch Ingram, who translated the song that Dan just sang, uh, he's a teaches Spanish at this little school up the road called UT, University of Texas, and Mitch is going. In fact, Mitch is so fluid in Spanish, we have two native uh, Spanish speakers, Oswaldo and Arturo. They said, will Mitch, will you translate Pastor Scott because your Spanish is better than our Spanish? And Mitch is just a white guy like me. And I think it's because my verbiage is a little complicated. So they want Mitch to translate. So we have that going for us. And then last night, uh, uh, another man, young man caught me last night and speaking fluent Spanish. He spoke to me in Spanish, and I'm not having a clue what he said. Then he says, when can I go to Cuba? And I'm going, next trip. Because there will be other opportunities as we go and to seek God's peace plan for Cuba. Something's brewing in the kingdom. And y'all, I don't want you to miss it. I don't want you to miss Cuba, God moving, God working here, God working there. I don't want you to miss it. Why? Because every life leaves awake. As surely as a boat marks the water as it goes through, and things wash up on the shoreline from that boat passing, so your life leaves awake. What will wash up on the shores of the lives of those around you? Will King Jesus wash up? Or will your selfishness and your preference or your tradition or your legalism, will that mark your life? Or will you live to make Jesus famous? This church was founded 133 years ago. Uh, our 134th birthday is going to be in October. Now, I don't know if that's the exact date, but that's the day we're going to party, all right? In October, we're going to have 134. Next year's going to be 135, so there's going to be a big party uh, in in. Two, in 19, 2019. Anyway, it's hard to keep up with this stuff. This church was founded by a group of people at Jacob's Well to do this, to reach people no one else was reaching, to make heaven possible, to make living all for Jesus a reality. It wasn't started to stop people from smoking, dancing, drinking, and chewing, and going with women who do. It wasn't started for that reason. Now, part of that was part of that back in the 1800s. There's reasons for that. But it was started to be salt of the earth and light to the world. And that hasn't changed, y'all. We fast forward 133 years, and here we are in this family, passed down, passed down, passed down, passed down, passed down, and here we stand. And we stand on the shoulders of unbelievable patriarchs who've gone before us. This church has had many locations this church family. We've had many houses, as it were. And we move from spot to spot to spot in order to provide better for uh, facilities and buildings and, and spaces for the people we love. No place we've ever been was sacred because it was a place. It was sacred because a people of God chose to inhabit that place. And a few years ago, we moved to this spacious campus, and God has given us a gift a jewel of a campus in the middle of, the, of the, the beautiful hill country of Texas. 
Every friend of mine that comes in, they, they say this, goes, oh, my soul, this is a beautiful place. That's right. God has blessed us with this. We've been blessed with godly pastors in the past. Uh, we, we stand on the shoulders. You'll never hear me speak disparagingly of one of our former pastors. Uh, some of them were rascals. Okay, we're not going to call any names, are we, Dr. Cheatham? No, some of them were rascals. And some of them were not rascals, but they're my brothers. I'm excited that Dr. Cheatham is going to be preaching here when I'm in Cuba. Dr. Cheatham, it is your faithful hands. You think you can handle it? Brother, I saw a picture of you. Uh, yeah, let's give Dr. Cheatham a hand. That's good. That's right. I saw a picture of you. You used to have dark hair. You can say right back at you, Jack. That's right. That's right. Well, we've stood on those, those shoulders. And for those 133 years, and help me, Dr. Cheatham, if, if I'm wrong, we've kind of focused on ourselves. Building our buildings, making sure we're okay, adding membership, seeing people saved, which is awesome. But I think here in these days, God's asking us to shift our focus. To not just be about us, but to be about the hope of the world. Many years ago, when we started the church in Victoria, Texas, I said this to our people. If we'll be concerned about what God is concerned about, he'll take care of what we're concerned about. And over those years, those 15 years I was there, God moved in a miraculous way in that little church, 39 people meeting in the mall. John Weinbrenner, who's a part of our family, he's the band director at the band. He was at First Baptist Church Pasadena as a student when I was there and when I left there to go plant Parkway Church. I'd forgotten this till last night, John, we were in the parking lot with the students and John caught me. He said, he said, you know, when you left Pasadena, that mega church to go start that church in Victoria, I thought you were crazy. I was just a teenager and I thought you were crazy. And did you remember that a bunch of us came down to see you in Victoria? I said, yeah, John, I'd forgot about that. He said, yeah, we came and spent the weekend with you. And when we got there and we saw that church meeting in the mall and saw you living in a rat-infested parsonage, we knew you were crazy. And y'all, you got a crazy pastor. Great, thank you, Dr. Cheatham. Yeah. All for Jesus. All for Jesus. And this journey to be the church that God uses is an incredible journey. And I want you to go ahead and take out your notes because I want you to write some stuff down. This is something I want you to write down because I want you to get this. God is more interested in a church's sending capacity than its seating capacity. Now, you've heard me say this before, but I want you to really get this, that God is not interested in the crowd we gather, but in the lives we build. When I coach pastors, I, I coach pastors some as uh, one of the pastors I'm, I'm coaching has a church with 5,000 a weekend. One of the pastors I'm coaching, he has 40 people a weekend. And God loves both of them. And God thinks they're both fantastic leaders and, he, and he's pouring into them. And I love both of them. In fact, one of them, the one that pastors a church of 40, he's bivocational. And Dr. Cheatham, he doesn't have time to prepare messages. So this is what he does. I send him my messages and then he reworks them and he preaches them. And he is, he does a better job than me 
Last week, I called him. I called him on this week. I said, hey, man, how's it going? He says, hey, that message last week, man, that was powerful. I said, yeah. He said, man, I talked about God's justice, and this is what I said. I said, you know, our justice will always lead to vengeance. God's justice will always lead to peace. I went, dead God, why do you call and tell me that? <laughs> it's a great point. So he's taken a recipe, and he's made it his own meal for his people, which I think is fantastic. And God wants us to shift our focus, not about how big we are, but by how healthy we are and how we live outside of ourselves and how we give our life away. I've told you this before as well. When I go to the doctor, he never celebrates my size. He celebrates my health. And that's what we have to focus on. How do we become healthy? And where is all this leading to? It's leading to this. If we're going to help the oppressed and plead for the exploited, God's solution is us. The church is plan A, B, C, and D, and E, and F, and G. You are God's solution. Now, I was reading Tom Rainer's book. In fact, we're going to be studying Tom Rainer's book, actually using it as part of our next series uh, called I Will, a week series after next. I was reading that this morning. And he was talking about church people say, well, we hire preachers to do the work. First of all, I I don't know much, but I know this. You did not hire me. God called me. And we, we, you and and I, agreed together that God asked me to come here. And so we are not hirelings, y'all. We're adopted children to God's family, and he assigns us. And God's asked me to do two things for you, two things, to love you and to lead you. And I will love you and I will lead you. When I was talking to the pastor search team, uh, they were interviewing me. <laughs> they interviewed, they were grilling me. And I said, don't ask me to come if you don't want me to love you and don't want me to lead you. And then Tara said, don't ask him to come if you don't want to change. Because he will bring change. And the only people that enjoy change is a baby. So we started this journey together, and God wants us to join him in the rescue, in being people that our lives leave awake. So 100 years from now, nobody's going to know you lived, but will they know Jesus because you lived? So let's jump into what God is saying to us today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you want to say to us this morning, and I pray that you will speak through me, that not only my words or my thoughts are even even the the pattern of my thinking. But you, King Jesus, will speak to us in a message that's so clear that we have to respond, here am I, Lord, send me. Thank you for what you're going to do. And I pray this in your name, amen. There's something else I want you to see and write down. Jesus didn't bring you to himself just to get you into heaven. He saved you so you would become like him. And he is a rescuer. He is a rescuer. Last night before the kids went to camp, I came up and and I prayed with them and I gathered them all together, uh, 73 uh, folks going to camp and parents standing around and uh, I asked them to do something. I said, I talked to them about don't miss this. Don't miss the opportunity for camp for God to speak to you. Camp, sending kids to camp, why do we do that? If you've never been to camp, you will never really understand it. One week with your kids changes their eternality. It shifts their thinking. It opens up their minds. 
It's not a, it's not a week of frivolity. It's a week of intentionality. And we have 14 adult heroes who rode a bus all night to pour into your children. That's kind of incredible, isn't it? That's kind of incredible, isn't it? Yeah, I don't see none of y'all on no bus today. It's kind of incredible. And when I gathered them together, I told them, I said, all of you have stuff you need to leave right here. You've got baggage, you've got distractions, you've got things that are gonna keep you from hearing from Jesus, you need to leave it right here. So I gave them all a three by five card. I said, I want you to write on this three by five card the things that are distracting you that'll keep you from hearing from Jesus. And so they wrote them on, and then I had a bag, piece of luggage. I said, you're not gonna take this baggage with you and ask them to drop it into this bag as they got on the bus. And they dropped their stuff in their bag and, I, and they dropped three by five cards. And I said, I said to them, now I'm not gonna read this. This is between you and Jesus. This is your baggage, you're giving to Jesus. I'm gonna throw this away because this is, this is not gonna go with you. And they all got on the bus and I turned to the parents and said, hey, y'all wanna read the cards? <laughs> and you know what the parents said? No. And that's not an indictment to them, but it's scary being a parent these days, isn't it? And the investment in these kids' lives is to turn them into warriors for King Jesus. Now, Jesus taught the Sermon on the Mount, the most powerful sermon ever preached, the most intimidating sermon ever preached. Countless volumes have been written by different theologians over the periods of, of years trying to interpret and, and really mine out the great jewels of wisdom Jesus taught in that Sermon on the Mount. We have been to the place where Jesus taught that sermon. In fact, we're going to go back. Those of you who would like to go back with us uh, next June, we're going back to Israel. We'd love for you to go with us. And we've been in that place, and I've dissected this sermon. And Jesus says a couple of things in Matthew 5 that are just mind-boggling. And we're going to look at just these two thoughts of Jesus, and we're going to see his solutions. And this is what he says. The first thing I want you to write down, I want you to get you are the only salt of the earth. Now, when you read this passage in English, it says this, and I'll, I'll read the passage for you. It said, you are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? That's true. What good is it if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? The answer is no, you can't. It'll be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. In other words, it becomes pavement. And then literally, the Roman roads had salt on them that was worthless. And salty, you know, you've heard the saying, are you worth your salt? And salt was the way that Roman soldiers got paid and blah, blah, blah. And, and salt was, was pretty important, isn't it? When my grandmother was 90, her doctor told her, Maudie, you need to cut out salt. It'll kill you. She said, if I have to cut out salt and it kills me, I'll just die. And some of y'all feel the same way, don't you? What is a tomato without salt? Or a piece of watermelon without salt? You know, salt is salt. It brings flavor. But here's the deal. We read this in English, you are the salt of the earth. We think there's lots of kinds of salt. You go into the H-E-B today and you'll see all kinds of salt. You'll see sea salt, which is the same salt as table salt. They just call it sea salt so they can share it and sell it for more money. Or what I love, Himalayan pink salt. Okay, I'm not a chef. It's probably worth something. It's pink, and it's from Himalaya. 
which is actually, you know, over yonder in Nepal. There, but, there's, but this is what it says in the Greek. You are the only salt. You're the only salt. And Jesus was speaking to a culture. God's chosen people, the Jews. And he said, you're the only salt. God has placed you in the center of civilization, in the crossroads of the ancient world, that you might flavor culture. You're the only salt. But they lost their flavor. And they'd fall into so many different things. And so Jesus said, I'll start my church because this world needs salt. And you're it. And Satan's big deception to us over the years is we think the church exists for ourselves. The church is a gathering of folks that sing songs and hear messages and they go home, eat fried chicken, and take a nap. But we're the only salt. The only plan of God. And God's solution is literally crazy. Does he know what he's dealing with? Broken, flawed people who don't pay attention, who are self-centered and self-righteous. And it seems to me that in Christian world, the closer we get to Jesus is not expressed in the greater love we have, but a greater legalism we garnish. Doesn't God really understand and the answer is yes, God does understand. And God wants us, the church, to be the solution. And we as believers, we're to do a couple of things. Salt preserves. We're supposed to preserve righteousness. Tara and I were watching the news yesterday. Hey, talk about something that'll depress you. You watch CNN, you'll get one view. You watch MSNBC, you'll get another view. You read the news on the internet, Rikers or, or Rudders or whatever it's called, and you'll get another view. You read Fox News and you'll get another view. Can we even get a real view? And here, here the real view is, listen to me, the world is going to hell in a handbasket, y'all. And instead of being angry about it, maybe we're to be preservers of righteousness, not in legalism, but in love. I've never seen someone convinced of an argument by verbosity, but I've seen them persuaded with love. To be loving people. And we are to influence, not be influenced. Many years ago, I played softball in a city league with another pastor friend of mine. And the city league was rough. And Tara would he bring the kids to the to the games because of the language was so bad. And we had to be influencers so we would not be influenced. And we are to be influencers of our culture. Influencers that are preserving righteousness. Tom Rainer has stated in, in his, uh, there are seasons of church revitalization, that we are in a season of church revitalization. In fact, one of our signature ministries here, y'all, and you've agreed to it. We are a teaching church. We're a church involved in church revitalization. So we're going to coach and encourage and train pastors and churches. And we're, we're going to do that because we believe the church is the hope of the world. And uh, we could talk about church planting. And in fact, we are involved in helping a church plant up in Dripping Springs. Uh, you'll hear from that young pastor in the, the coming days. 
and we're, we're helping them. But here's the deal. There are 350,000 churches in North America today, and over 95% of them are plateaued or declining. And the church is the hope of the world. 95% of our brothers are unhealthy. And Tom Rainer, who's the president of Lifeway Christian Publishing, he says that we're in a season of revitalization. He says of those 350,000 churches that are in North America, one-third of them will close their doors and disappear. One-third of them. Now, you, you might think, well, that's good. Dead beats need to close. But you know, there's a broken heart behind every closed church door. Do you know that? And there's a discouraged pastor and their discouraged family and their discouraged people. And some people walk away from the faith because the church fails, because they refuse to be revitalized. Two-thirds of those churches will experience revitalization, according to Tom Rainer. And they'll do it one or two ways. Get this. There'll be an organic movement of God in the people. Where the people will say, we have to turn, return back to the biblical reason of church. We have to slough off our traditions and our legalism and focus on the timeless message of Christ. We have to change our methods, but we will never change our message. We will never compromise our message. And folks, you'll never hear me compromise biblical theology ever, 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 ever. I'm the most conservative. In fact, y'all, I'm a biblicist more than a Baptist. And I'm not disparaging about my roots. I'm not, or my education, or my tradition. But I'm a biblicist. But we have to always look at our methods. Do they really work? Everything has a shelf life. Everything. I said to Dan, as he was singing today, uh, I commented and said, Dan, that sounded like a Christopher Cross song. Christopher Cross was a musician in the 70s. Any of y'all ever heard of Christopher Cross? A few of you. Is he still selling records today? No. No offense, Dan. Everything has a shelf life. But the message of Jesus Christ does it. So they'll experience revitalization organically, and they'll have someone comes in and helps them, and, and they'll experience a renewal. The other portions of this two-thirds that will experience revitalization, they'll be either replanted or merge with another church. When I read that from Rainer, I said, are there churches around us that we might need to consider offering them an invitation to come be a part of our family? I'm not saying that's the case. I don't even know of one. But maybe you know of one. And in our digital age, you know what? Location really doesn't matter about where you attend church. Did you know that? Because you can be a part of a microsite that's gathering around an internet broadcast and be a part of this family. You see, church is not something you show up to. It's what shows up in you because of the people you show up with. Hmm. So it gets me to thinking that if we're to be salt, then the church has to be healthy. We have to be influencers. You know, Jesus faced the cultural corruption of Judaism in his day, and he was moved so by compassion that he established his church. Jesus died on the cross to build his church so that we might be the hope of the world. We are the extension of Jesus. At the end of World War II, a statue was found in a church building that had been bombed. 
And it was a statue of Jesus holding out his hands. And his hands had been broken off in the, bom in the bombing. So instead of recreating the, the, the statue, the artist put a sign on Jesus said, we are the hands of Christ. We are the hands of Christ. And in fact, you're the feet of Christ. You have the mind of Christ. You have the heart of Jesus. Hmm. Your heart, your head, your hands, your feet. Your connected heart, your growing mind, your serving hands, your going feet. All for Jesus. So we have to be attractive to be influential, to create thirst, to create a longing. I want what you have, and how do you do that is that you be joyful. Joy is a serious business of heaven. If people look at you and say, I don't want what he's got, whatever he's got, he ain't happy with because he's sour. But the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is the one who creates a thirst so we have to escape the Christian bubble. Did y'all know that there's a whole commerce built around capturing your attention as a Christian? We had a bookstore in our church in Canada, and they sold Christian breath mints. Really? So you could have the breath of Jesus. It's a minty freshness. Really? They call them Christ, uh, testaments. That's what they call them. Testaments. It is just Christian consumerism gone to crazy. We have to escape the bubble. And we fail to rescue people. We fail to escape the bubble. We, we fail to be salty. Then we become pavement. Trampled underfoot, good for nothing. Wow. Well, how do we lose our saltiness? I'm glad you asked that. You were thinking that, right? Let me give you a list. You might want to jot these things down. Arrogance. I'm better than everybody else because I'm a Christian. You're just a hellbound degenerate, and I'm arrogant, and I'm better than you are. Which holds hands with entitlement. I want what I want when I want it. I'm entitled. Y'all, I struggle with both of those things. I know it's a shock. Arrogant and entitled. And both of them stink. Two of the nastiest demons in hell. And then there's relational rifts. When we refuse to be forgiving and when the bride of Christ is fighting. And relational rifts always lead to slander and to bitterness. And we talk about folks instead of talking to folks. And we just, and it, I've, got to, I've got to fix some of this. Because I can say one thing to somebody and then without that in my heart about that, and then they turn around and say to somebody else, and then their baggage becomes my baggage, and it becomes just a convoluted mess of misunderstanding. Hmm. And we gossip. We don't gossip in the church. We share prayer requests. I need y'all to pray for Dan. Let me tell you what he did. And I'm not going to say anything else, Dan. We do that. You're welcome. Legalism. You miss the, the miraculous because you're so busy judging because it didn't meet your standard. Being weird. Being weird. Anything you do that causes people to cringe. 
sometimes instead of being salt, we're just weird. We say weird things. I got a friend of mine, I meet him, he said, how you doing? He said, I'm blessed and highly favored. I go like, that's weird. <laughs> doing well. I got another friend, I meet him, he said, how you doing? He said, if, if, if I was any better, there'd be two of me. That's not weird, is it, Dewey? Not at all. It would be a blessing to have two of you. No. <laughs> His wife says no. But being weird, here's nothing. Believing everything you read on the internet about other pastors and then judging them based on your ignorance. Did y'all know that everything you read on the internet is not necessarily true? Oh my gracious, people's lives are not as nearly as fantastic as you think they are on Facebook. They're not. But we believe them. And I have dear friends of mine who've been absolutely, totally slandered. Slandered by internet trolls. My pastor friend, Rick Warren, is one of them. When Rick's son committed suicide, there were people who had the audacity to post on his Facebook size, this is God's judgment against you. And we wonder why we're not salty. Unrepentant hearts. Now, I'm going to say this to you, and I hope it's offensive. Just a warning. The most dangerous person in town is not the drug dealer, is not the pimp, is not the mobster, it's the unregenerated Christian. Because the mobster, the pimp, and the drug dealer have a temporal influence. The unregenerated church member has an eternal influence. And folks, you can show up here and miss Jesus. Or you can give your life to Jesus and be salt of the earth. And I don't want you to miss Jesus. And I can't climb into your hearts, and I'm not your judge, and I'm not your Holy Spirit. But you know who you are. And an unregenerated church member is the one who causes difficulties and heartaches and hardships, and every church has at least eight of them. Just saying. Compromise. When we start compromising the truth of God's word, we lose our saltiness. And there's so many social issues today, so many crazy ideas. So many different thoughts about what's appropriate and not what's appropriate. If we don't go to God's word and we don't stand on God's word and we compromise what we believe, then we lose our saltiness. Then we become pavement. Salty believers cannot stand the corruption of abuse and end of activity, so therefore action is required. Then Jesus says this, you are the light of the world. You're the only light of the world. Only light. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hilltop cannot be hidden, and no one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead of a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Salt is subtle. Too much of it ruins something. 
Too little of it does no good. Light is obvious. The darkest night is penetrated by the smallest light. We are to be our lives a city set on a hill. Have you ever come down the slopes of Ranch Road 12 down into the Wimberley Valley at, at night and notice how the whole valley spots of illumination? Now, we're a dark sky city, so we can see the stars, and that's a good thing. And we're coming down the hill, but you can see the points of light. In fact, I'm getting to know where things are. And as you come and twist and turn and follow the Blanco, it's not exactly where you think it is when you're thinking of things geographically. But you see the points of light. We're to be that obvious and shining our light before men so they may see the good works that glorify God to know that there's nothing good in you, there's only thing good in God. And they see the light of Christ shining through you. And the light of God's love drives out darkness. John, in his gospel, said and he, the, he was the light of man, and the darkness could not overcome it or comprehend it or even understand it. And so much about light was a part of Jesus' world because we light our lights. Now, choir, you're going to help me with this. Because this is a light of mine, I'm going to what? Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Let's try it with me again, choir. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. I love doing that. And that's what we're supposed to do. You know what the verse says? Not going to let Satan it out. I'm going to let it shine. In fact, Satan doesn't have enough breath to blow out the light of God's church. And it will stand through all eternity. The journey to hope, helping the oppressed and plead for the exploited, is to bring light to expose the evil in the world. You ever turn on your light and watch the roaches run? <laughs> Just saying. We reflect the love of Christ and we light up the dark world. Now, what I've discovered is that we have a tendency, the church, to shine our light to each other's eyes. We share our light to one another instead of sharing our light to a dark world. So God gives us the go. Right now, we're teaching our step with class, our actually step up class. And next week, we'll teach our step with class. And these two classes, these two next step experiences, teach you your shape for ministry, and it teaches your mission in the world. Every one of us need to experience this. Now, next week, I'm going to Alabama to film our next small group series. I'm going to do two things while I'm there. I'm going to film our I Will series, the seven weeks for the fall, uh, the group material. And then I'm going to film all four of our Next Step classes so you can watch them online. Because it's that important, I want to make it accessible. And somebody said, well, I ain't going to leave my Sunday school class. Get your Sunday school class to go to Next Steps. And get engaged and find out what God is saying to us as a family. How we're to connect, to grow, to serve and share. But we're also going to put it online so you can watch it in the convenience of your home. You can go to bed at night with Pastor Scott talking to you. <laughs> Might as well, y'all sleep while I'm talking to you here. You might as well let it be there. <laughs> and to take advantage of this. To seize the opportunities that God gives you to bring his hope to the world. People come to Jesus best on the arms of a trusted friend. Invite them to come with you to come and see.
the power of invitation. Last night, a young woman came for the first time because, get this, she came to the community choir 4th of July celebration, and she saw, I could go to church here, and she came last night, and she got saved last night. Wow. Now, she met Brenda Morton at the door. If you ain't saved, she, Brenda going to make sure you're going to get to heaven with a cookie in your hand. And she's going to be baptized next weekend. Wow. And to give you resources. And I've said this before, and it made your heads hurt. But we don't give to missions at this church. We are the mission. And we give to support missions that are beyond us around the world. We give generously to do so, but we are the mission. In fact, our budget is not a church budget, it's a mission budget. We are the mission. And we give up our resources. We engage our darkness. And we bring rescue. I love what one pastor I heard once says, take your little light and dart into the darkness. Take your little light and dart into the darkness. You see, because every life leaves awake, as certain as a boat marks the water, so your lives will mark eternity. And will they mark it all for Jesus? My prayers, I will. I'll be salty salt and I'll be bright light. All for Jesus. And together, together, we're God's solution. We're the hope of the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you've said to us this morning in your word. And I pray, oh God, that we will not walk out of here complacent or the same, but challenged and stirred. That we will find our place in ministry. We'll find our place as mission in the world. That we will declare to you that you are the one, and we will say to you, I will, because you are worthy of all praise, all glory, all majesty, and all honor. And we will give our lives to you, King Jesus. Now, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to talk to you. As I talked about unregenerated church people, is that you? Now, you can get mad at that, or you can get saved. You can get saved. And I don't want you to get mad. I want you to get saved. And maybe God is speaking to you today that this thing you've been doing, as you know, has been a, a charade. Will you give your life to Jesus right now? You know what to do. You know how to pray. But let me help you. Just pray this, Jesus, I'm yours. I give my life to you. I don't want to be what I once was. I want to be what you want me to be. Forgive me and save me. Jesus, I'm yours. If you just prayed that with me, welcome to God's family, finally. But there's another prayer we need to pray, church. Here am I, Lord, send me. Here, my Lord, use me. Here, my Lord, I'll be the hope of the world. In church, we will be the hope of the world. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are and what you say. And I pray, oh, Father, we'll respond to you with our lives. We pray this in your strong name. Amen. Y'all look at me a second. We're going to do something a little different today. 
instead of Wyatt and I standing here at the front and at other prayer team at the front, we'll be available after this song, but I want you to listen to this song. Wyatt and I are going to be here in the front row. And if you need to be prayed for while the song's coming, singing, just come on, find us. We're right there. Won't we be Wyatt? We're right there. We'd love to pray with you. And there'll be other prayer members available after this song. But I want you to listen to this song. Jonathan's going to sing it, backed up by the choir. It is a declaration of who we are as a people. And as you listen, let this be our prayer. Jonathan. Do you feel the world is broken? And do you feel the shadows deepen? But do you know that all the dark will stop the light from getting through? And do you wish that you could see it all made new? Is all creation groaning? And is a new creation coming? And is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? And is it good that we remind ourselves of this? Worthy is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah, who conquered the grave, and he is David's root, and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. Is he worthy? Is he worthy? Of all blessing and honor and glory, is he worthy of this? Yes. And does the Father truly love us? And does the Spirit move among us? And does Jesus, our Messiah, hold forever those he loves? And does our God intend to dwell again with us? Is anyone worthy? Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone the seal and open the scroll. The Lion of Judah, who conquered the grave, and he is David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. From every people and tribe, every nation and tongue, he has made us a kingdom and priest of God to reign with his Son. And is he worthy? Is he worthy 
of our blessing and honor and glory. Is he worthy? Is he worthy? Is he worthy of this? Is he worth